Hello and welcome to episode 33 of the NFL Scotland podcast and it's a happy new year from us as we first foot you to close off the regular season for 2018. My name is Cameron Hobbs. And my name is Paul Mitchell. The playoff picture is set. Multiple coaches have been fired and we've had drama right to the end in what was a thrilling record-breaking 2018 regular season. As ever, we'll be giving out our weekly Scottish Slanted Awards, hearing as well from you who you think should be winning each. And we'll round things off with some of the news items which have caught our attention this week. So we'll kick things off as we do with every single one during the regular season by looking back at what's just happened. And Paul, it was a thrilling week 17. Quite often these can be a little bit of a non-event if everything's been done and dusted. And I thought the NFL did a really good job of making sure that all the important games really were loaded into that second group of games and into the late game as we went head-to-head with the Colton's Colts and Titans with whoever wins gets in. Um, it actually made it really interesting and kept you going right through the night. Yeah, NBC play an awful lot of money. They're always going to take the best possible game uh, and they have to make sure that nothing else earlier in the day can knock it out. It's also a rare week in the States because both CBS and Fox have two games in a national window, so they obviously want to make sure uh, that the big game, which tends to be the later game, the 425, is also a good one. And I think it played out pretty well. There was some good stuff uh, right across. I mean, the early window was a little bit quieter. Uh, Certain teams... The games didn't look important, but they were going to prove to be important. I mean, the Dolphins' bills meant absolutely nothing in terms of standings or wild cards or anything. But a bad performance by the Dolphins was probably going to cost Adam Gase's job. What happened? Really bad performance, and Adam Gase is out. Yeah, indeed. Um, and there was some funny ones as well. Like you say, there wasn't much there. The, the Texans clinched the AFC South, but with a pretty comprehensive win over the Jaguars. And perhaps as surprising is that Doug Marone appears to be safe. See, I'm not surprised by that. I mean, they got to the the championship game last year um, and were a decent, decent team. This year, they backed their own person. They, they should have cut ties with Blake Bortles last year. That was their mistake because everything was always about Blake Bortles, Blake Bortles, Blake Bortles. The defence had a down year. Uh, they were pretty poor. Uh, they limped their way through. But if you're not going to score on a regular basis, I think that puts the, the defence off because they know even on their best of days, they were unlikely to win. Yeah, and they, and they really were very disappointing. Leonard Fournette now seems to be the person getting the finger of blame very controversially. The Jags have removed their uh, the guarantees from his contract, citing the suspension he got against the Bills. Um, there seems to be a bit of chat that the, the Players Association and Leonard Fournette will um, obviously challenge the Jaguars on that. Um, but it does feel like the finger of blame is going round. Doug Marone is very much out of that. And throughout the season, you have said he definitely deserves a second chance. I'm just not sure I see enough out of them, even in this season, to see a glimmer of hope. And I think that's definitely got to be a worry. Todd Bowles out in New York, though. I think the biggest surprising thing for me was that's his fourth year. I can't believe it's four years of Todd Bowles that they've had in New York. I was very surprised it's been as long as that. But they were absolutely limp against the Patriots, who, once again, we get towards the postseason, and they're, you know, they're absolutely on form, and they've got their bye again, and suddenly you're thinking, are we going to have the Patriots in the Super Bowl again? Yeah, I mean, that's highly possible. I mean, four years for Todd Bowles. Uh, I mean, he did have won 10 and 6 seasons, so there was a glimmer of hope at one point, but 24 and 40, never made it to the playoffs, not even in that good season that they had. So he was a dead man walking as well. And the thing is, you've done that with a, a new quarterback 
So you've got Sam Darnold in there, who's shown the good and bad of rookie quarterback, but he's now going to, you know, all new head coach, likely a new offensive coordinator, potentially new scheme, and that sets him back a year. I mean, the other ones that didn't surprise me, I mean, I mean, Dirk Cotter, I mean, that's 11 years now uh, without the playoffs for Tampa Bay. Um, Bruce Arians has been tipped about that. Bruce Arians lives in the area, quite fancy the job, and they, they have talent. Certainly on the defensive side of the ball, they've got some great wide receivers. The question has to be, uh, with Cotter gone, do you also take out Jameis Winston at the same time and just say, you're not for us? But they don't have a high draft pick. They're not in the top eight. That might mean they, they stay with Jameis Winston. Other ones that perhaps weren't a surprise, Marvin Lewis, after 16 years, has gone uh, third straight losing season. That will get most coaches sacked, three straight losing seasons. Um, Vance Joseph, back-to-back losing seasons with very little to show for it for Denver. I mean, certainly the last few weeks they've been very, very poor. The one that it surprises me in the way because it's a one-year deal is Steve Wilkes. He's gone 3-13, and 13. Uh, he's got an ageing team, he got a brand-new quarterback, and yet, you know, he's out, he's out the door after just a season. And that's sometimes, to me, that's a little bit that's a little bit naughty. But, you know, Chip Kelly was out at the 49ers after a season. Uh, Joe Tomasula, Mike Malarkey had a year at the Jaguars. Hugh Jackson had a year at the Raiders, if you remember that. Yeah. So it does happen, um, but it just doesn't happen very often. No, indeed, and it's. I don't think, like you say, there is any massive ones. I think Steve Vox is probably the most surprising out of those. Marvin Lewis is one of those guys where you're you're surprised as well. Sixteen seasons is a long time for anybody. For anybody that's not Bill Belichick, sixteen seasons is a long time, especially when he never won a single playoff game in that time. You know, he made the postseason a couple of times. Uh, I think it was seven times total in the sixteen years, which isn't brilliant return anyway. But to not even win a single playoff game is disappointing. Uh, I don't think that the Bengals fans will be disappointed to see him go and again another season where they actually started pretty well and I talked about it right at the start of the season though the issue that they keep having is people keep getting injured and key players keep getting injured and this is what their downfall has been and an absolutely horrible run to end the season as well you know they put up a little bit of a fight against the Steelers in what was a, a must win game for the Pittsburgh but it still just wasn't good and they end up finishing bottom of that division below the, the Browns that were you know, a couple of inches away, really, from potentially beating the Ravens, and it could have been completely different. And, you know, they were only 0.5 away from a tied season, almost a winning season for the Browns, and we never would have thought that coming in um, at the start of the year. We thought there would be a big improvement, but I think they've probably improved better. But that, even though, came around after the sack in the Hugh Jackson. Um, and someone, you know, it's interesting to see so many people getting tipped already for the Browns job when Greg Williams surely has to be a major contender. He's surely done enough there to make himself the favourite, has he not? Well, I would have thought so, although it might be, he might think, actually, this job isn't for me. Yeah. You, you never know what goes on in somebody's mind. There's enough other teams that will be hiring new defensive coordinators. He might, you know, find it, it depends on the, the coaching connections. You know, a mate of his might go and get a job somewhere else and take him along. I think what he's done in Cleveland is he's restored his reputation. Um, he's rehabilitated himself. Ironically, the man who didn't, Hugh Jackson, will be interviewed for the Cincinnati job. 
Yeah, and I think that the Cincinnati fans will be dreading that he gets uh, considered for that one at all. Um, one person who I don't think will be getting considered is Joe Philbin. That was a limp performance. I mean, okay, fine, it was without Aaron Rodgers, but that's the worst home shutout for the Packers since 2006. Losing 31-0 at home to the Lions, that's a bad result. Yeah, I mean, you know, Philip should have been texting his real estate agent uh, with the word sell um, because he's not going to hang around in Green Bay, that's for sure. So there's a lot of jobs that, that are up for grabs and it's not so much, I mean, 8 out of 32 jobs available. But the one name on that list is Adam Gase, who's immediately being linked with other teams. Now, he started the season 3-0, and they finished 7-9. and So work that out, they had an awful, you know, downhill run at the end but I think what it did for him was just the last two weeks I think if they if they'd gone and beat the Bills they'd gone and beat the Jacks let's be honest two beatable teams they lost horribly to Jacksonville and they lost even more horribly to the Buffalo Bills if you know and, and I think that's what's done for him in the end but he seems to have a bit of kudos about him and people seem to like him and he'll end up interviewing for at least one or two jobs. Yeah, certainly a young coach who you'd like to think would be given the opportunity to go and do something somewhere else and does seem to have connections. And like you said, you know, that that's half the battle. It's about, you know, who are the general managers that you're friends with? Who are the people that think of you highly? Um, you know, there's a lot of people that reckon that, you know, John Dorsey has got uh, Peyton Manning in his ear. Peyton Manning, a big fan of um, Adam Gase so you know there's connections like that you just never know what's going on in the background speaking of general managers though the one other one that's changed is Reggie McKenzie out of the Oakland Raiders the homeless Oakland Raiders we'll come on to that later on um, but Mike Mayock gets his first job in an NFL front office so that's a really interesting one now if you watch the draft you'll know that Mike Mayock is the man to listen to. But it's a very different job when you're working in the media and you've got people at each of the clubs wanting to give you that information or trusting you with it. It's a very different job when everyone else is your enemy and you've got to try and figure it out. So I think that's a really interesting appointment uh, and one that could definitely benefit the Oakland Raiders. Um, but, you know, an unproven uh, and a risk to take on someone that you know, we all know and love, and it'll be disappointing to see him come away from the NFL Network, certainly around draft time. Yeah, I mean, the Raiders now have two of the best uh, play, uh, colour commentators on their books, and Mike Maycock and uh, John Gruden. Uh, Mike Maycock's terrific to listen to. He talks a really good game, and now he has to go into place and make that tell. I mean, Lynch did the same at San Francisco. Uh, he's made some good pickups. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo getting injured uh, sent his season sideways. Um, he's got a busy draft coming up. He's got the number two pick in the draft. So it's interesting that people are willing to move out of television and into jobs like this because they obviously see there's a chance for success. Yeah, now you touched on a point there about Jimmy Garoppolo, and there's a there's a tweet doing the rounds at the moment. You know, the six highest paid quarterbacks in the NFL in 2018 are Aaron Rodgers, Matt Ryan, Kirk Cousins, Jimmy Garoppolo, Matt Stafford, and Derek Carr. Combined, they got a total of 31 wins between all six of them. Not one of those quarterbacks is in the postseason now. That only tells half a story, as we've already touched on there. Jimmy Garoppolo um, was injured right at the start, so we can't really hold that against him. But even if you look at the stats over the season, someone like Matt Ryan, you know, had a good season. Um, if you look at the statistics for the whole year as well, he's up there at the very top end of the of the quarterbacks. You know, when it comes to yards, he's third highest. Um, when it comes to touchdowns, I think he's second highest. 
And, you know, compare him to Mahomes, who had 50 touchdowns and 12 interceptions. Matt Ryan had 35 touchdowns, not as many, but only seven interceptions. So, you know, this that's not always on the quarterback. And I think it's a little bit unfair on someone like Matt Ryan to blame him for the unfortunate injuries that they had on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I think the biggest thing in the NFL, and people listening probably understand this, is injuries. If you lose two or three key players and you don't have that depth, and certain positions are easier to cover than others, then then you're absolutely done for. And, we, and we've seen that. It's interesting to see that, you know, people like Matt Ryan, who any team would take Matt Ryan. Yeah. I mean, probably, even, even if you said against your current quarterback, would you take your current quarterback or Matt Ryan? Now, conservative guess, 20, if not 25 teams would take him. Yeah. So it's certainly not on him, that's for sure. Um, they've, you know, they, they just had some horrendous injuries, and they'll make tweaks. I always think you're allowed a down year, um, yeah. and if you then come back and show your stuff, that's absolutely fine. I mean, looking at these jobs, it's intriguing to see which which is actually the best. I mean, arguably the Cleveland job is the best job of the lot because they've got the talent pool already there. Green Bay, high, high expectations, although you've got the quarterback. The Cardinals, that looks messy. I think they'll go for a little bit of experience if they can there. Denver, well, you've got Kansas who are playing pretty well in your division and you've also got, you know, the, the juggernaut that is the Chargers, yep. so that's not an yep. attractive one. New York is New York. Good luck to anybody going in there and trying to get gangrene <laughs> moving <laughs> once more. Uh, Bruce Arians for Tampa Bay would make sense. The other Florida team, again, they've had parts, but just not been able to assemble things. And the Bengals, I mean, if, if you're going to give 16 years to Marvin Lewis, you, you could probably take a little bit more of a chance and give somebody two or three years because, again, what you're going to find in that division is potentially the Steelers coming back a little bit and the Browns on the rise. So you know, it, it's trying to find that right place to go. It's a very tough division, that AFC North, actually, now, um, where it felt quite clean-cut before, and it was the Steelers were romping home. Now, the Steelers have had their problems this year, obviously, the much-talked-about lack of Levy and Bell. Going into the game last night, they had no Antonio Brown, and really, when those two key players are missing, they're, they're kind of struggling a little bit. Um, but the the Ravens really have turned it around, and John Harbaugh's name was, throughout the early part of the season, mentioned as a name that would be on the bubble, and a name that, you know, if you talk to us in October, we probably would have been thinking, do you know what, I think John Harbaugh might be looking for a move um, that might be him up at the end of the season but they brought in Lamar Jackson and since then they've, they've really turned it around they're into the playoffs and actually they're now a team that people are talking about you know what, you probably want to avoid the Baltimore Ravens so that's now a really difficult division to go into um, and whoever takes over the Bengals has got a tough task Oh, absolutely, but I think I said at the time that the best draft pick of the first round was Lamar Jackson given where he fell and so it's proved to be. He has come on and done brilliantly. He will start as their franchise quarterback. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And that releases Joe Flacco to go somewhere. So, you know, where does Joe Flacco go? Does Is he the man, rather than Eli Manning, who people have talked about going to the Jags, I think it's intentionally possible that Joe Flacco could end up at, at the Jags and he might just elevate them and just give them that sense of security that a, a Super Bowl winning quarterback can give you. Absolutely, and you talked about, obviously, Lamar Jackson and the point that he went in the first round. Um, but let's go to the very top of the, the pile and the man that went number one overall, Baker Mayfield, and has now got the rookie record for most touchdowns thrown in a single season with 27. Um, and, you know, didn't even start 
the year as the number one quarterback. When you look at the other people on the list, you're looking at Peyton Manning, you're looking at Andrew Luck, you're looking at Russell Wilson. These were the players that had the record before. Well, now the player that sits atop all that pile is Baker Mayfield. And actually, he's been brilliant to watch. We spoke to Jim Ballard, um, I think it was about week four. We asked him, you know, is Baker legit? And he said, absolutely he is. He's brilliant. And he's probably been... You know, for the Browns, one of the most exciting things to go in if you're a head coach is to work with an exciting young player like that. But there's exciting talent throughout that team now. I doubted them taking him at one. I think they could have got him at three. That, and I think they could have gone for Barkley at one. That was my. That's my only criticism of it. If you get over that, I think it has worked for them without any doubt. I didn't see the Giants taking him at two. Therefore, I think they could have gone for Barkley at one. Okay, it worked out in the end. I think they've got their guy. Um, And I think he's going to be really, really good. He's exciting. He's made some dumb plays. But then again, you saw Andrew Luck throw a really dumb interception against the Titans. It can happen happen to anybody at any time, whether you're a 10-year veteran or a 10-game veteran. Totally. And, you know, Andrew Luck's one of those guys that can just do it and do it and do it. And... He gets away with the odd mistake because, do you know what, he dusts himself down and he gets on with it. And actually, Baker's got a little bit of resolve about him. And you could see that even in the game as they're pushing down um, to to try and come back and win against the Ravens. And that's a very good defense that they were up against. A couple of really tasty throws right on the line that one of them was caught after, um, you know, they reviewed it. And Perriman in front of his former teammates did absolutely brilliantly. Um, and then there was another one to Njoku that just got batted away from him. But that could have been a big catch had it been received. Um, and Baker's leading the team. There was a lovely little play that he did as well where he threw the ball up in the air um, to almost like like he was shuffle passing it. Uh, to, and he threw it to himself. And that allowed Landry loads of space down the field because obviously the defence were then focused on the run. Um, and it was a lovely little bit of play. It was highlighted by the commentators at the time and it was it was superb. Brilliant to watch. You know, he's a bit of a trickster. He's got a bit of flamboyancy about him. But when it comes down to it, he doesn't feel reckless and stupid. He he maybe did at the beginning, but he's learned very quickly. And he feels like he's got quite a sensible head on his shoulder whilst also having the, the drive and the determination to be a little bit different and do something a little bit exciting. And I think as long if you've got a player that's capable of that, you'll go and watch them. Oh, absolutely. And I think that the Browns' appointment is going to be a really big, important appointment. There's arguments for bringing back Greg Williams. There's arguments for letting him go. So I can see it from both sides. The one I wouldn't appoint is Adam Gase because he's coming with baggage from Miami Cleveland looked like it's a team that's ready to take off in that division. So I don't know if you want the distraction of a coach who's just come off three seasons in Miami, didn't have the quarterback for one of those seasons, and it all didn't quite work. There was always that slight image of dysfunction coming out of there. So I'm not sure you know, which way round they're, they're wanting to go. Um, interesting, I mean, we can talk about who some of the candidates are, and you're going to hear you know, the name Josh McDaniels bandied around but I'm not sure if I'm a GM I'm going to interview him given the fact that he turned down uh, Indianapolis last year without really much time so that that's an interesting one Eric Benemi the New York Jets have put in a request to interview him he's the Kansas City Chiefs offensive coordinator he'll certainly pick up an awful lot of interest uh, Brian Flores um you know the Patriots defensive coordinator, so everybody always goes to the to the Patriots yeah. to have a look to see who's in charge either side of Belichick. That that's going to be an interesting one to see which way they're going to go. 
Yeah, another name that, have, that potentially people have been surprised not to see on the sack list is Matt Patricia. Now, again, it's a difficult one because he's only got in year one, but seems to be a lot of questions about things like his professionalism. Apparently, he's only turned up to his um, media interview once or twice on time in the whole season, which is surprising of someone from the Patriots' organisation background. Um, so I wonder whether the one thing that Brian Flores might have against them is the fact that Matt Patricia hasn't perhaps done as well as they thought. I was interested to see that Freddie Kitchens is being talked about as a potential one. Obviously, he's the interim offensive coordinator at the Browns at the moment. Um, so it could be interesting to see if they do bring someone in from internal. If it's not Greg Williams, do they go to him? Maybe not. Um but yeah, it's always fascinating at this time of year because you get so many names put up and inevitably there's somebody comes left field for one of these jobs and you're like, wow, where's that come from? Um, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, it certainly doesn't look like Steve Wilkes is going to get a call uh, in the next year or so. I think he's going to have to spend a year out of football and then perhaps rely on his coaching tree to get back in. Todd Bowles is possibly the same. You know, I'd be surprised if Mike McCarthy's name wasn't around somewhere and at least somebody, you know, interview him. Because he did a half-decent job in Green Bay and he's got the experience. Um, it might be, you know, that people, you know, will have, will have a look at and and see where they go from there. But it's a fascinating, fascinating time of year to see, you know, all the mixes and moves. And I'd see how quickly, the problem is with eight teams looking for a coach, how quickly do you need to pull the trigger? Yes. And how easy is it, Cameron, to get it wrong? Oh, very, as we've seen people fail time and time again. But if we go back to week 17 then, one thing that I want to speak to you about is there's two schools of thought with this one and we've seen both in play this weekend in the early games you saw the Saints go up against the Panthers with pretty much a second string with the exception of Michael Thomas who of course got the most reception yards in a single season in Saints history which was really nice to see him do that but ultimately the Saints lost 33-14 losing momentum losing that game at home but fine it was the backups now they've got the bye week before they then uh, face whoever gets to the wild card in the playoffs the flip to that is the Dallas Cowboys. Now, obviously, they rested Ezekiel Elliott, but they still put out everyone else, pretty much, and pushed the Giants in a thriller uh, and came out winning 36-35. So they go into that game now with momentum. Um, and they go into the wildcard game against a very tough game against the uh, Seattle Seahawks. But, you know, Dak Prescott's performance of the weekend was superb. 387 yards, four touchdowns. He was sacked four times, but had a QB rating of 120.2. He also got emptied a couple of times as well. Yes. And that that would concern you. That's the problem, isn't it? It's, it's that eternal problem. Do you play the guys, they might get hurt. And we saw that with the, their star linebacker. Uh, he got hurt, saw the ankle, and you think, oh, is he going to be out? Yeah. You know, and then the coaching staff. That The problem I've got with that is that then becomes the narrative. You know, if you lose somebody to injury, that's the narrative for the week. Yeah. You know, you're going to be without, you're going to be without, you're going to be. And that can get into a team's head uh, because the media certainly would not let that go. So I think that's quite an interesting one that you, you've got to come through unscathed, especially at quarterback. Now, Blaine Gabbert 
looked a little bit rusty. I don't think there was any doubt about that for the Titans. Would Marcus Mariota, would it have been different with him under centre? I think it's fairly safe to say yes. I don't think, not necessarily they would have won, but there were sort of three or four passes that looked quite routine for somebody if they'd been playing week in, week out. You know, little swing passes out to the side to pick up five, six, seven yards that I don't think Mariota would have missed. No, there's there was some horrible throws from Gabbard. And he's really, for me, he's one of those backups that you just... You don't even have faith that he can do, see the game out for you. Um, obviously, having watched him at the Niners, he's just... Uh, I get that there's some really good backups up there that don't play many games, but when they do have to play, they come in and they just manage the game. I just don't rate him at all. And I think that it's a shame, uh, slight shame for that game. It really could have been a classic, I think, if Mariota had been fit. So a real shame for the Titans that he didn't make it. Um, but from the Colts' point of view, they're hitting form as well at the right time, and they've had a really good season. They've got Andrew Luck back. Um, uh, they've got a run game. They've got an offensive line. And they've got defense. You know, Darius Leonard, what a great performance he's had this year. And, I mean, we'll come on in another pod to talk about our players of the year and, and do some full-season reviews. The one player that I want to touch on, though, is uh, for the Cowboys, Blake Jarwin. Where's he come from? But it's, it is that traditional time of year where... It's almost like the coach opens a Christmas present and discovers that he's actually got one left over from last year. Yeah. And and, and they, they go and bring out this toy that nobody's that nobody's really seen. I mean, Ebron, you could argue, has done a similar role. Uh, the coach, he's, he's just been on fire as the season's gone on. Yeah. Um, and done so much better than he ever did in Detroit. So sometimes you just get players who come out of nowhere, but... The problem with that is, how do you use them the following week? You know, is he going to be, is that just a one-off? Or can he actually be factored into the game plan uh, and be trusted to go and do it in Seattle? Now, we can't move on from tight ends, though, without touching on my man, George. George Kittle, um, setting the most receiving yards in a single season by a tight end in NFL history. George Kittle with 1,377 yards. Interesting to note that... Travis Kelsey also had sort of a record. He's now got the second most in NFL history with 1,336, which was also set this year. If you look back at the players number three and four, that's Rob Gronkowski and Jimmy Graham, both from 2012 season. So obviously this is something that comes around in every six years. So, you know, you've got to look to 2024, pencil it in now, make sure you get a couple of tight ends in your fantasy draft that year because they're going to go off. <laughs> that's, that's good advice but there has been, there's been some interesting things I mean Alvin Kamara uh, only the second player in history to have 1500 rushing yards and 1500 receiving yards in his first two seasons the other being Herschel Walker so he's in pretty good company we are in a more offensive um, style of the NFL at the moment so all these records are going yeah. to get broken you already mentioned Baker Mayfield's uh, rookie touchdown record you know Mahomes throwing 50 touchdowns as well so there's a lot there's a lot going th- more going through the air than it ever was oh totally but even then you know you look at someone like Saquon Barkley most receptions by a rookie running back in NFL history Mike Evans has had the most receiving yards in a single season in team history for the Buccaneers you know in a terrible season for them he's the one shining light that maybe comes through so, you know, it has been a record-breaking year. The the one record that I saw equaled, and he didn't quite beat it, but it was fascinating, was Nick Foles equaling um, Philip Rivers' 25 consecutive completions, which was set earlier this year as well, up against the Redskins. Um, and Nick Foles loves this time of year. 
Oh, it's Nick Paul's time of year, apart from the fact that he just missed out on a $1 million bonus yes. if, he, if he'd played a certain number of percentage of snaps. And I think he was four snaps short of doing that. If I'm Philadelphia, I'd just give him the check anyway. Oh, absolutely. If anyone deserves it, it's absolutely Nick Foles. And it's pleasing to see that he has got a slight rib injury, but already been named as the starter against the Bears um, in next week. Now, we will be back before the weekend to do another podcast previewing wildcard weekend because there's so much to talk about there um but you know let's just wrap things up then for the last one we had um russell wilson also set a record for the most past touchdowns in seahawks franchise history you know again a, a team that people will want to avoid and a team that the cowboys will be disappointed to be facing against even though they're not having to go to seattle the seahawks continue to have momentum and in the postseason this is you know they've they've almost become patriot like over the last couple of years and that you just expect to see them there and you kind of expect them to win yeah i think i think we've got some really good games actually sometimes wild card weekend can be a little wild in terms of letdown but i think we've got some good games coming up and you say we'll talk about them yeah. uh, in the pod later later in the week but i mean yeah we've got some good stuff on the horizon yeah absolutely so right we always ask for our weekly awards so let's start first of all by going to twitter though and getting the thoughts of some of the people that got in touch with us uh, scott lund got in touch to say that logan thomas gets the porridge award for his block on the dolphins defender i don't know if you've seen it but my goodness me that dolphins player is going to take a while to get up from that one absolutely unreal loads of scottish award nominations for the steelers Colin Simpson got in touch to say for blowing a playoff place in the run and it has to go to the Steelers. Um, there was another couple of people. Alan Peter said, yet yeah, another nomination for the Steelers for most Scottish-like performance. Snatching defeat from the jaws of victory seemed to be our MO this season. Maybe it's a good thing as we didn't make it in this year as things need to change, in my opinion. So Christopher's been in touch. So for two weeks in a row, he's nominated the Steelers for the most Scottish-like performance. Looked terrible for the most part, but things get better. And there's a giant glint of hope, but then they are relying on others to get a result to help. Now, that does feel quite Scottish. You know, that's where, you know, you just do enough to maybe have a chance and then the results don't go your way. And ultimately, that's it. Yeah, I think the guys are absolutely spot on regarding the Steelers. Polly's been in touch as well to say that most weeks being 17-0 up and losing would give you a shot at the Scottish award, but the Bucks fan base wanted the high draft pick, so he says. So how about we give the Glazers for the honking award for making Dirk Cotter do the after-game presser then binning him two hours later? That is honking. That's a fair point. Yeah, that's a fair point. I should also say, I, th- I think I might have mentioned whether they had a pick in the top eight. I can't read my own writing. Of course, they will pick fifth. So they actually do have a chance to bin Jameis Winston if they want to because they do have the one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, I can now count again. Uh, <laughs> pick in the, in the draft. So that's highly possible. Whether the quarterback class, and we'll talk about this next month when it's done and dusted, whether the quarterback class is as deep as the one we've just seen come through, that's that's another thing to mention. But yeah, that'll teach me to write uh, Tampa Bay rather than Bucks on my notes. <laughs> um, and just to run through that draft order then, the Arizona Cardinals nearly blew it and nearly gave up that number one pick. Had they beaten the Seahawks, it would have ended up probably being to the 49ers, although it would have got complicated because it all comes down to uh, difficulty of schedule after that. But as it turns out, it's the Arizona Cardinals in at number one. The 49ers in at number two. Then you've got the Jets, the Raiders, the Buccaneers, the Giants, the Jags, Lions, Bills, Broncos, Bengals, on from there, Packers, Dolphins, Falcons, Redskins, 
Panthers, Browns, Vikings, Titans and Steelers. All the rest of them to be determined after the playoffs. And obviously we've already seen a number of these picks get traded away anyway, so it could very well be another name that's in that list. Um, with there being a lot of defensive players and not necessarily a lot of quarterbacks coming out, we might not see many teams moving up, but I think if you look at the the teams at the top, you know, the Cardinals, the Niners, the Jets, the, the Raiders, and to an extent the Buccaneers all need to address the defensive side of the ball, so you'll probably see them uh, using those for some of the top players anyway. But we're a while away from that, still plenty of football to be played. So Paul, what about your awards though? Um, who do you think gets the most Scottish-like performance of the week? Well, I think there's no argument. I mean, I, and I think we'll give them the honking award at the same time, the Steelers, yeah. because they got themselves into a position to do something this year. But I think we'll give that as a sort of carryover for the way that they handled Levy on Bell. That was a farce from the start. If you knew there was going to be a problem, you had to address that. To have a guy of his quality and his playmaking ability sit out a whole season, I would be looking at Mike Tomlin and yeah. sit at questioning that. If you want to put somebody else on the hot seat, um, Mike Tomlin for that. Now, there might be more behind that. Uh, I'd be interested to see what our Steelers friends think about it, but I just think there's there's something really bad about that. Yeah, no, I think it's hard to disagree with you on that. And I think that, you know, most Scottish-like performance for me definitely goes to the Steelers for for having it in their destiny, for blowing their chances, for allowing the Ravens to come back and catch them, and then ultimately doing just enough but not getting the favours that they needed. It just feels Scottish. Honking award for me, I, I struggle to see past the Packers for that one. That's just such a limp performance. Now, fine, okay, we know that they lost Aaron Rodgers, but... You know, that's it's not a great Lions team. And to be losing 31 points at home is really, really poor. Especially when the Lions team's got nothing to play for. You know, you look at the Jets against the Patriots and you look at the Raiders against the Chiefs. Now, both the Patriots and the Chiefs needed to win to secure their uh, relative positions in the playoffs. So they're going for it against teams that aren't. But with the Packers and the, the Lions, neither team's really going for that. Um, and ultimately, that's just a, a horrible performance. And to do it at home, I mean, imagine, you know, we see people traveling over. You know, the, I've seen people um, on our timeline who've been at the Rams games. There was a couple of people at the Browns games. There was a guy over at the Saints games. And, you know, how disappointing to go to a Saints game and see that sort of semi-limp performance. But imagine going out to Lambeau Field for the first time and seeing that. That's just horrible. Well, it is horrible. But I tell you what, I'm not giving the honking award to the Green Bay Packers team. I am giving the honking award to the Green Bay Packers fans. Right, okay. Anybody that does a Mexican win. Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry, that should disqualify you immediately. It's a hideous, horrendous thing. There's no place in sport. It's dull, it's cheesy, it's old news. And I'm really sorry... To see that go around Lambeau Field was almost heartbreaking from a sporting point of view. To have that wonderful cathedral of sport desecrated by the Mexican wave. Not nice. Abs Honking. Absolutely. And do you know, it's not often I disagree with Scott Hansen on Redstone. I think he's a wonderful man. He does wonderful things. I'll be, I'm so sad that he's gone from our lives now for the next nine months or so. But um, he was sort of celebrating the fact that, you know, the, the Packers fans were still having a great time. I was like, nah, Scott, nah, you've got that one wrong. When they're doing the Mexican wave, that's, no, no, that's just not sport. That's just, that's for me is one of those horrible things you see at World Cups when it's full of fans that don't care about what's going on on the actual field. 
You know, yes. you want your you want your fans to be more annoyed and animated. You don't want them to have a miserable time. But you know, you certainly don't want to see the the sort of defeatism and utterly dis, disinterested approach that results in a Mexican wave. It's horrible. Yes, no, I I think that's a fair shout. Um, so porridge award then. Who gets that for you? Porridge Award, uh, for for his contribution over 13 seasons with the Buffalo Bills, it's got to be Kyle Williams. Uh, we can do a slightly different Porridge Award. I know it's not a one-off, uh, but, you know, he, he's retired after 13 seasons, former LSU player, gone to Buffalo. His post-match interview was fantastic, and they even threw him a pass. Yeah, you know, and he and he got ten yards. He got a first down out of it, but he he said wonderfully that he was glad he was tackled because the forty yards to the angel looked so <laughs> so long. Um, so I, I really like that. I think you've also got to give a shout out. Is it Matt Prater who threw the touchdown? Yes, absolutely. Um, that that was fantastic. And uh, because we missed last week's uh, podcast due to illness, you've got to give a shout out to Matt Boucher as well, the Atlanta punter. Uh, who on the return absolutely wiped out his opponent with one of the best tackle body checks you will ever see. Um, he'd certainly been eating Weetabix, if not porridge. He was tremendous. Yeah, I agree. And, and you know, I think I'm going to stick with you on those two. You've got to give some kicker-punter appreciation. You know, going outside their zones of comfort and doing it with aplomb, it was a brilliant tackle. And it, it was a hearty tackle. It was everything that you want to see. But Matt Prater was brilliant. It was the fact that he obviously threw the touchdown and then kicked the extra point afterwards. You know, brilliant. All seven points absolutely credited to him. I thought that was a brilliant thing. Um, I'm going to give George Kittle a little shout out just for setting his record on the day, 149 yards and a touchdown against what was a good um, LA Rams defence that although they are giving up points to be fair, Nick Mullins did pretty well, you know he, he did get intercepted three times, uh, sacked three times but it still threw for three touchdowns at 282 yards, pretty decent performance. Um, CG Anderson for me is another one that gets a wee shout out. Todd Gurley out injured. You wondered where the run game would go. Well, CG Anderson's come in and filled that gap pretty well. 132 yards and a touchdown. Not bad at all. Um, and then you've got to give a shout out again to Blake Jarwin. What a performance from the tight end. <laughs> yeah. Three touchdowns, you know, 119 yards off seven receptions. Came from nowhere. Was instrumental in that game. So absolutely superb from him. So uh, some great performances. And, you know, there's not a lot of people play fantasy, and rightly so. You know, I, none of the leagues I'm in go to week 17. Um, because it's an absolute shambles because you just don't know who's going to play um, but you know if you were playing fantasy there's a couple of big players out there for you uh, and we hope that you won your fantasy leagues did you win any Paul? Uh, regular season I was topping both my leagues and got emptied out uh, because I couldn't overcome injuries um, in the last couple of weeks my wide receiver core uh, which was led by Emmanuel Sanders got absolutely decimated so no I, I lost in uh, one semi-final and one final. Yeah, well, it was one final defeat for me. I made the playoffs in uh, the wild card round in one of my leagues. Didn't make it any further than that. Um, but in probably the main league that I'm in, made it to the final. Uh, lost out by seven points. The the team I was up against had Christian McCaffrey, Patrick Mahomes, Nick Chubb. Um, it was always a hard task up against him. Um, he had lost a couple of players uh, in the run-up to that. Um, I'd lost Odell Beckham. But the difference on the night was um, that I had a couple of players get injured during the game. So, oh. you know, and th th you just can't account for that. You just can't account for it. So, you know, you lose a couple of guys who 
rock in with two point performances lost by seven so a close game do you know what I didn't anticipate to win the guy who won it absolutely dominated the league throughout uh, very deserved but you know hey we're on to next year and speaking on that we've sort of muted this on uh, our Twitter but one of the things that we're looking at is the potentially running off a Scottish fantasy football champions league next year um, we're going to give more details about that during the off season but I just thought I'd mention it on the pod here we're looking at the possibility of basically the opening up for applications for anyone uh, any Scottish player that's won their um, fantasy football league we want to get the best of the best together so that we can find Scotland's ultimate fantasy football champion now people asking about eligibility if you are Scottish if you're in Scotland if you've got any connection to Scotland we'd hear it but we will have more information about that and a lot more uh, during the off season so stay tuned for that. Um, also, Paul, we've got coming up on the 20th of January, uh, another live event that we're planning at the Golf Tavern in Edinburgh. The Golf Tavern, who, of course, are kindly the sponsors of this podcast for the rest of the season. So we're absolutely delighted to have them on board. It's a great place to go and watch football. And you can go and watch every single game now for, for the postseason at the Golf Tavern. Uh, we'll be there. At, I'll be there at least a couple of times, I would imagine. But planning something on the 20th. Yeah, looking forward to it. It should be a good night. Um, the, the problem with doing something, say, on the Super Bowl night is so many people have got their own Super Bowl routine. So what we're hoping to do is establish a new championship night routine. So come along, we'll do a little bit, and then we'll watch the first of the championship games together. Um, and then if you want, you can stay and watch the late one as well, although that, that's always a little bit trickier um, timing-wise. But yeah, really looking forward to it. Um, been a little bit of buzz about it on Twitter so hopefully we can get together with people and have a good chat about the season that's just gone yeah absolutely more details to follow on that but if it's anything like the week one event the place was absolutely buzzing uh, the food at the golf superb they put on drinks offers as well uh, they've really made a big effort to make it the NFL fan zone Edinburgh this year so it, it's been a really good place and you know people have regularly been getting in touch with us saying that they've been going along to the golf how much they've enjoyed it so you know we got to thank them they've been absolutely superb with us so um, yeah Pencil that in on your diary. Sunday the 20th of January, Championship Sunday. We'll be doing something at the Golf Tavern in Edinburgh. Well, that concludes things then for episode 33, and we hope you've enjoyed listening. Again, we'd love to hear your feedback, good and bad. Make sure that you follow us on Twitter at ScotlandNFL and on Facebook, www.facebook.com forward slash ScotlandNFL. Thanks to all of you who've been listening, sharing and chatting about the podcast. We continue to see the numbers grow every week from humble beginnings last January. Boy, have we grown. Please keep those sharing the podcast with all your NFL friends and continue to let us know what you think. Do keep giving us your weekly nominations for our regular awards. We will be doing them all the way through the postseason. We've loved reading your suggestions, though. And if you come up with any other Scottish slanted awards, we'd love to hear those too. We'll be back again towards the end of the week with Wildcard Weekend. Four thrilling matchups coming up as the 2018 postseason gets underway. We'll be back to preview all the action, but until then, bye for now. Mm-hmm.